0: Welcome to the CSI Wake Forest podcast, where I will be examining the counselor student experience from the inside out. My name is Pia von Strasser, and I am a current student in the Wake Forest Counseling program. My hope is to provide insights about the student experience in this program and explore topics related to what it means to become a counselor. I also hope to shed light on pressing topics That are currently impacting the field of counseling and those who seek services thank you for joining me and i hope you find whatever it is we're looking for so i was at the middle school for my practicum experience and the middle school was grades six through eight there is a little bit of flexibility with that sometimes it's just seven and eight but more often than not it is six seven eight we have a lot of similarities to elementary school actually that most of what's going on is those SEL and classroom guidance lessons, although they take a little bit more of an adult format. In the middle school, it's important to start looking at things like career exploration, preparation for that transition to high school, student success and motivation, And then I also found that it was really important to bring in topics that were related to COVID as I found that a lot of the students were just not processing their experiences. So we did some classroom guidance, almost like group counseling around what COVID entailed for people, um, what the grieving process looked like how we can be mindful and, you know, begin to process our feelings rather than keep them bottled up about what was going on. And then additionally, we took some of those system level concerns and we looked at things like social media and how to have healthy friendships and healthy relationships. So the classroom guidance is very much still a part of that experience. But the topics are a bit different. And then given that last year was a COVID year, I also had kind of a blended experience where my students were coming, half of them Monday, Tuesday, the other half came Thursday, Friday, and Wednesday was a break day as well. And it was just very challenging because a lot of the students weren't coming to school at all, weren't logging on. I was doing... A lot of home visits, going to the students' homes and trying to help them with their internet connection or get them the supplies that they needed and didn't have access to, or to figure out how we could kind of overcome whatever barriers were going on to their learning in their homes and in their communities. Uh, So, individual counseling last year was very much at a minimum. I'd say it was actually quite difficult for me to get any opportunities to do individual counseling with students. And then students didn't just freely roam around the school campus. So what would normally be a revolving door in the counseling office was a closed door appointment only. And that took away kind of the students' freedom and ability to just stop in whenever they needed something or stop in in crisis. And so we just saw a lot less of students in general and the halls were quiet And it was just a really weird time to be in a school and to be working with students. I think one of the main things that is different between elementary and middle school is just the content of the things that you're working with, like the emphasis on career, the emphasis on college preparation, the emphasis on the importance of high school and getting your requirements completed. There is just more of a future focus than a present focus, which is great, but in some ways also neglects a little bit what's currently going on in the lives of students. So I found it really important to kind of take a step back and go back into the present and process what's going on in the present moment, which is what I did through a lot of my mindfulness presentations and my grief and loss presentations and trying to work with students and what was happening for them in the current moment. Also, in the middle school, I ran a seventh grade group with some girls that was focused on self-esteem and image and how to deal with all those external factors that go on in that middle school transition. When you look at the developmental levels, middle school is just full of internal chaos (laughs) in the body and also in the external world. So. It's an important time to be having conversations about identity, image, self-esteem, confidence. Who do I want to be? Who am I now? All those kind of big meta topics come up a lot with that age. And then compared to elementary, there is less of the play therapy type work going on. I loved bringing in board games when I could and trying to incorporate some art. I found that Play-Doh was a huge hit, and students loved shaping objects into what they were talking about, or even just having something to fiddle with while they were talking helped with some of the stress and anxiety involved with sharing intimate details about their lives. But it does have less artsiness, creativity... And other things like that going on, although I think that's a little bit personality dependent on the counselor because these types of students love to do it if you give it to them and maybe even appreciate it more because they get it less. So whenever I did bring in anything creative, it was a huge hit. And so I would suggest that anyone going into working with middle schoolers actually try to incorporate more of that in because it really helps strengthen that therapeutic relationship. And it really does help you relate to the kids. So that's my spiel about middle school. Enough of me talking. And I'm going to turn it back to Ms. Mackenzie Mick to talk a little bit about her experiences in high school and
1: uh, the career center. Yes. So I'm in high school right now, which, well, I'm not in high school. I'm in a high school as a school counselor. Um, And I, it's fresh. So I have, plenty to say. (laughs) I think it is starkly different compared to elementary and middle school. The variation, too, between schools is very, very stark. Um, A lot of what the school counselors do is based on the school culture there. And so finding your sort of niche market in the school that fits you best is important when you look sort of forward towards careers. So my, my role's at my internship site right now are to meet with students who come in mostly with social and emotional issues. Um, the school that I'm at also has a lot of students coming in with scheduling concerns, which uh, took up the vast majority of the first few weeks of our semester at school. Uh, there's a really big academic focus in making sure that students are getting the credits they need to graduate. They're signing up for as many like honors and AP classes as they feel they can handle. They're signing up for um, career and tech classes if they're interested in those and sort of understanding what amount of dedication is required to get a certificate in one of those career or technical uh, realms before they graduate. So a lot, of, a lot of knowing stuff about requirements and district policy and school board policy um, and keeping on top of things that are changing with that. I meet with mostly the social and emotional stuff. So nice for me because I stay away from the the sort of nitty gritty of the the scheduling concerns. Um, And a lot of the social emotional stuff that shows up for us so far this year has been concerns about workload, um, work-life balance, which seems like a big topic for high school, but a lot of our high schoolers are working outside of school. They're participating in sports, they're doing a ton of extracurriculars, and then they tend to have stuff in their mornings too, like they're, they're packed. And so um, working with them to find a way to make sure they're taking care of themselves while also getting in all the stuff that they want to. That covers most of the main issues that we see come through our door. I'm not sure if that sort of resonates with you, Pia, and what you've seen.
0: Yeah, so we're having a lot of the same stuff going on, which is actually cool to be in California with you in North Carolina, and knowing that really what, presents with these students, presents across the board. You mentioned scheduling. And I do think it's important to note that that kind of goes into the role of school counselor and advocating for your role. So school counselors do a lot of scheduling in general and often get pulled into a lot of tasks that maybe you wouldn't think are tasks for a counselor. So I think when looking at the ASCA model and what a school counselors should be doing, It is important to stand up for yourself and define your role so that those things that you have to do, like scheduling and other things, don't take up such a big part of your job. And right now with COVID, there's a lack of substitute teachers, and I've been hearing of a lot of counselors who are being pulled in as subs, which is not part of their job description And so knowing kind of what is part of your job, like scheduling, and what's not part of your job, like substitute teaching, is really important so that you have the time to focus on your students and their needs rather than being pulled into these positions that are maybe better suited for other professionals.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of need for (laughs) advocating for the counselor role, I think, because counseling as a whole has been rapidly evolving since like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and school counseling is a fresh area, um, relatively and definitely compared to other professional realms. It's new and kind of always changing. I think ASCA is still trying to figure themselves out. Um, professional identity is still something that's being changed and evolving as the profession evolves. So, keeping on top of like the literature, what people are like, you know, what what people are saying about the profession is really critical uh, to know where we stand in the world. And to make sure that you are correcting people who might have an outdated idea of what a school counselor is, uh, the big one being like guidance counselor. Um, I've I have corrected many many people about that, even people who work in a school setting because um, it's it's we're not a guidance counselor anymore. <laughs> Speaking of guidance
0: counselors, to show how new this kind of idea of the school counselor is. When I was at my practicum site at the middle school last semester, our school counseling office still said guidance counseling, and it was a huge peeve of mine.
1: Yeah, ours did too at the elementary school, and um, we still have the guidance sign at our high school, and it's been sort of a constant battle. My supervisor's been leading the charge to um, re-educate people in a school setting who just might not know that that's not what we do, and every time you get a parent phone call, it's like... <laughs> Actually, I'm the school counselor and here's my role. Um, I can still help your student with questions of like vocation and career questions because those things are deeply intertwined with your social and emotional needs. But um, I'm not strictly there to talk to them about jobs.
0: Yeah, that's a really important point. And again, back to working with the parents and working with other professionals. Um, I had a parent who was insisting that I make her student's resume. And I had to inform her that I was plenty happy to help her with career counseling and exploring her vocational interests and her passions and her goals and what her future looked like. But my job was not necessarily to make her a resume, but instead to assist her in kind of the ideas around a resume and, you know, what it could be used for, what she might want to accomplish with that, and maybe exploring some of the things that she had partaken in that might go on the resume, but not necessarily in sitting there designing it for her
1: and sending her on her way. I have not had an experience sort of as stark as that, but I have had a lot of opportunities to talk with parents about the role of like mental wellness um, and how that intersects with school counseling. A lot of parents are on edge or a little bit concerned about what that would look like in a school setting. and sort of weaving through that difficult relationship while you want to be, you know, good and ethical with your student, you don't want to necessarily be bothering the parents. There's like, you know, a lot of a lot of connections that you gotta you gotta work through. So I have had to work around requests of parents who, you know, they don't they don't want people to talk to their students about their mental well-being and then I, you know, call the parent and say, you know, I'm not going to go against your wishes. I just want to let you know that my job can be to help your student with those academic concerns, those career concerns, those extracurricular overwhelm. We can talk about that while also talking about their mental well-being and, you know, not even getting into the nitty-gritty of what's going on, just being a space where they can say, you know, I'm just really overwhelmed. That to me is still mental wellness. And I think a lot of parents are not skeptical, but not sure what we do. Um, And so having that professional disclosure statement ready, I've sent it out in a few emails already to say, like, this is who I am. This is what I believe in as a school counselor. Here's my contact info. Like, let's let's talk about it.
0: That's wonderful that you're sending out that professional disclosure statement and really just defining who you are, what you're there for, what you can help with, what you can't help with. That just puts those clear-cut boundaries from the start and just really helps you solidify your role and your identity as a counselor in the school.
1: This is kind of a segue, but another issue I think that has come up more in high school counseling than it did in elementary for me, and I think it's just going to be more and more common for a little bit while we sort of figure out the environment that we're all living in, but our district has seen a rise in violent concerns or concerns of violence Um, We started off the school year by having a shooting in a school. Um, It was like the second week of school, which was kind of overwhelming for the faculty, the staff and the students. And even since then, we've had a lot of incidences in schools of um, finding weapons or having fights break out. And I know it's a nationwide concern, but it's definitely shaken Winston a lot because this has not been a trend within the school district for at least Probably a decade, from what I've read. I've not been here that long, but that that's a new challenge that I don't think I was fully prepared for going into internship. That I now have at the front of my brain every time I sit down with a student um, to talk. You know, h- like how has this affected you? Because it sent ripples through the district.
0: Yeah, gosh, I remember like it was just yesterday, and I was in North Carolina with you, and we were grabbing coffee somewhere, and we were having a conversation about you know, where we wanted to work after graduation and the pros and the cons of all the different types of counseling since we are dual degree. And I remember vividly telling you that I was concerned about being in the school because of all the school shootings that we were hearing about. And I was concerned for my safety as a professional working in that setting. And I was concerned for the students and for the teachers and I remember you telling me that, you know, it was a real concern, but that also we're not safe really anywhere because, you know, in those clinical settings too, there's still the possibility of violence. And, you know, I think that just speaks to what's going on in the world right now and the anger and kind of the unease and how it's just really become integrated into our culture. And, you know i don't really know what to do with that information i think i'm still trying to figure it out and trying to kind of adjust my perspective to incorporate that and accommodate that and decide where my boundaries lie with certain things but you know it's just really it's just really hard for lack of a better word to kind of incorporate that into your schema of your job and what to expect and like what school year looks like and what day-to-day life looks like and kind of bringing in finding weapons or having shootings and stuff like that into your realm of possibilities is just not something that I want to do, probably not something that you want to do either, not to just assume, Um, but it's a weird thing to get
1: used to, I guess. I think it's a great place to emphasize the need for counselor self-care or self-understanding, knowing when you need to take a moment or seek out your own help, perhaps go see your own therapist, talk to your supervisor. I know mine has been particularly helpful in navigating the new, um, the new mess (laughs) of the world. Um, And then knowing that we're taken care of is really the only way that we can then, help our students reliably and be, you know, the healthiest person in the room, if you will. Um, I think that's a Dr. Caceres staple statement there too. So, <laughs> um, but you can't, you know, you can't help people if you yourself are not being taken care of. So recognizing that this is just really scary and very messy and not good and finding time to figure that out for yourself before sitting across from, across from a student or a client.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up this notion of counselor self-care. I was actually just about to ask you how you were managing all of this personally. And I think making space to kind of normalize those feelings within yourself, like this is scary. This is sad. Like this is impacting me. That's okay. We're humans too. I think there's sometimes this weird idea that counselors are like superhuman beings who don't have emotions and are not impacted by things and just magically make everything better. And of course, when we step into a room with someone, our focus is on them. But it's important, I think, outside of that room to be acknowledging the ways that those things impact you and to be taking the time to work through them, like you said, with personal counseling, with supervision, with consultation. Um, I know that it's been really important for me this year to build in an actual exercise routine into my schedule because I found last year during practicum, I just never went to the gym anymore because I was so busy and that really impacted my mental health. Um, I rely on those endorphins. And so now I'm training for a 5K and hopefully I'll even be able to go further. But I run four days a week. On the same days every single week to ensure that no matter what, I'm getting a little bit of time in there for myself and for my body. Um, I go to my own counseling. So I'm taking those measures, and oh my gosh, have they made a world of difference for me this semester compared to last. So, what kind of things are you doing to kind of manage those
1: emotions and the impacts of our work? I feel like for my personal self care, I've got like two camps of things to draw on. I've got the like routine stuff. So I also see my own counselor. I also have a pretty strict workout routine for lifting. I don't run; <laughs> that's not my thing. <laughs> also, working on a five k, but not as not as dedicated as you are. <laughs> but so I have a lifting schedule, um, and I'm lucky enough to live close enough to my internship that I can walk home from internship, which has been like a reliably good way to decompress after a long day's work. And then, sort of from the other camp, is like the little things I can draw from if I know that I need just a second, a little break. Um, When I take my lunch breaks at school, I go sit somewhere where I can watch TikTok, which sounds really goofy and it is, but it's like a good way to just remind yourself that the world is not within this high school. There's plenty of stuff happening elsewhere. So like checking in on social media, if that's your thing and you have a healthy style of using it, then like right on, use your TikTok, check your Twitter. Um, And I have set like a wake up routine in the morning where I'll Go get like a coffee before work so I don't have to be rushed or whatever, and that sort of sets a tone for the day. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, just sort of having a a hat with ideas that you can pull from. Um, so you have that basic routine that stuff that keeps you um, really functional, but then you also have stuff that's like, ah, oh, you know what, I'm gonna pull from my hat. Um, I'm gonna go get a pizza tonight. <laughs> Tonight's a pizza night. Um, and so making sure that you're just like saving space to be a human.
0: I like that you mentioned those little things too, because I think self-care can sometimes seem like this huge task. And then instead of being self-care, all of a sudden it's another duty or another responsibility. I'm not a big TikToker, but I think that your TikToks are my Disney shorts. I watch so many Disney shorts. Shout out to Jack Jack Attack. Um, They're like five to 10 minutes of your time and they just make you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. Um, So if you're a Disney fanatic, I do recommend those shorts. I make my friends watch them with me all the time. And I think that they think that I am a child, but I am really okay with that. Um, Also, pizza nights. I try to go to a new restaurant once a week. I got so stuck in going to the same place every single time, that it's been really fun to be like, okay, once a week, I'm going to actually leave my home, leave my studies and go to a real meal in the real world. So that's been really fun too. And something as little as just like you said, waking up a few minutes early to get a coffee, um, taking a bubble bath. Um, I like to say aloud my gratitudes for the day before I go to bed just little things like that, which maybe take five, 10 minutes are also self-care and are also really important.
1: Yeah. I like your um, idea about overdoing it or pushing self-care so hard that it becomes a chore. So that's a, that's a common thing. And that just reminds me that like currently on my workout lifting schedule, I'm on a break because I had a little knee thing. I don't even think it's real, but I was like, Oh man, I think I'm going to hurt my knee. And I got into that mindset that something was gonna happen. So instead of pushing it, which would have stressed me out more and it wouldn't have been worth it anymore, wouldn't have been fun. I've been on a break for like two days. So we left the routine behind for now. We'll restart it when I'm when I'm back to feeling like it's time.
0: Well, speaking of breaks and self-care, I think it's maybe a time for this podcast to come to a close so that we can get back to some of the other things that we need to do on this lovely Sunday. We talked about so many different things today, really, from the different types of tracks that are possible, the differences between them, what it looks like to be in elementary in middle and high school, COVID, and how we take care of ourselves with the crazy amount of things that are going on in the world right now. And I just want to thank you so much, Kenzie, for joining me today on this episode. And folks, get ready
1: because Kenzie will be coming back. Yes, you heard it here, folks. I am hard to get rid of. <laughs> I, I was so excited to be on this podcast. I think school counseling can be mysterious if you don't know enough about it. And it's also one of those things that feels very distant from our clinical cousins, and it is not. So I think if I had like any takeaways for our fans here, it would be to give school counseling a try if you're even a little curious. I know our wake program lets you do a practicum in a school and then decide to switch to clinical. Um, so if you are even like considering it, I always say give it a go. Our peers who switch from school to clinical, they don't feel any the lesser for having had a practicum in a school setting. So definitely try it out if you want. Um, and also, school counseling might be for you if you love systems and people. And working with your client, but also their environment, which is so important.
0: Yeah, on that note, I feel like we got into a lot of the nitty gritties about kind of the big things that are impacting school counselors today, which maybe doesn't sound as positive. But I think it's important to note that school counseling is honestly so much fun because you are doing a million different tasks, working with a million different people. And while it might seem chaotic, you kind of love every part of the chaos. So I think it's really important to note that we are just having a fantastic time. And we were both converts from clinical to school. We did not come into this program expecting to be school counselors. So I would like to second Kenzie's idea that if you're at all interested, give it a try because you might just find that you love it like we do.
1: Oh yeah, I started clinical and now I recruit school. So I have made a full 180. Uh, now we're both in high school uh, again but it's been great and I think as younger school counselors um, people who both me and I came right out of undergrad and so um, sometimes it was difficult to feel like I could relate to adult clients who had gone through a lot of things and empathy goes a long way but there's also this um, question of like do I have a lot of life experience where do I get it Which ended me in the school, which is funny and ended up being very helpful because a lot of my high school students and I use the same sort of dialect, like same kind of slang. Recently, I had a conversation where I used the word receipts to (laughs) refer to screenshots, which my client totally understood, but my supervisor did not. (laughs) And I remember being like, this is this is a bonus of being an intern in the school that we can be that sort of bridge between our supervisors, the administration and the students. And also a great reminder to always keep up with the lingo and be aware of what our students are using and going through. I don't think if I were like having a basic understanding of TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat has been immensely helpful in understanding the concerns my clients are bringing for me. So stay up not only with the literature, but what society is doing
0: too. I honestly never thought it would benefit me so much to know about these things. I have the other counselors, the four other counselors coming to consult with me all the time about social media. I might consult with them about ethical dilemmas, but they want to know the lingo.
1: Yeah, I was like, okay, (laughs) a thought for the people. Um, Something that may not be super self-explanatory, but like, you know, people use different social media platforms to communicate through like direct messages, the DMs. But People pick different DMs for different reasons. And when you understand that, it helps like fill in the picture of what your student or your client is telling you, because there's a difference between getting a text message and then getting an Instagram DM and then getting a Snapchat message. Like those are different paths of communication. And I didn't realize it until I was talking to someone about how someone they knew had unsent messages on Instagram. Um, Because you can now do that. You can like send something and then take it back, (laughs) which you cannot do for other social media platforms. And so to me, like that speaks to maybe a different level of meaning to that message. Because if you plan on sending something to somebody that you could then take back, that's a different kind of communication than like sending a text message that stays or a Snapchat that's there, but then disappears. If you can like purposely be like, no, I'm taking that back. That might have meaning to your client that you wouldn't understand otherwise. So if you're not using the social media, keep it up to date with like what you can do with it. I think that maybe you should go back to
0: undergrad and do some research on this topic. That's what I'm saying. Like there's there's something there
1: that if you're like, I don't know, (laughs) the means of communication, like I can send you a text message, but it's going to be there. So if I say something mean, you can always see it. But on Instagram, you could say something horrible and then take it back and then nobody has any proof that it ever existed. So when it comes to like bullying and working with students who are talking to people on the internet, knowing how they're talking to people can be very critical.
0: That is a very interesting perspective that I haven't even thought of. So you have just blown my mind.
1: Thank you, thank you. This may not fit in anywhere else in this podcast, but if nothing else, people know how Instagram DMs work.